0: We have been in a series in the book of Ruth, and we are now entering into the last chapter, chapter 4, and um, last week we heard from John, and uh, we are going to be reading in Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. Today, the, the sermon, the title is The Cost of Redemption, The Cost of Redemption, uh, anybody remember the PS4? Seems like ancient news these days. <laughs> uh, when I had just one child in my house, I used to actually be able to play video games. I'm a little hot up here, if you can lower I'm getting some feedback. I used to play some uh, some PS4 when I get home. And you know, when whatever you do as a parent, your kids want to do. And so, you remember those things called CDs or discs? You remember that? Yeah, I used to... Put it in the PS4 and switch it out whenever I wanted to change out. I remember the first computer that I got that didn't have a CD-ROM, and I was like, "What magic is this? Why are they not doing? That? I have to pay extra for a CD-ROM, then I never used the CD again." But anyway, for my PS4, I would you know put the discs in and out, and uh, you know my children want to be just like me, so Judah at the time uh, thought, "Oh, this would be great to put some stuff in here too." And so he took some gift cards that we had and started shoving them in the PS4, and I caught him at the last gift card that he had, I didn't know at the time, he had shoved other ones in there, and I just see midway, and I'm like, no, and he looks at me and jams it in as hard as he can. He's like, look, daddy, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really nice. And so I'm like shaking it up and down, and I'm like, man, nothing's coming out, so I take the PS4 to the guy that's going to fix it, hopefully. Uh, you know, I, I realize, like, it may not be worth fixing, but I had some gift cards in there. I, I wasn't sure which ones he threw in there, so wasn't sure what to do. So I leave it in the guy. He says, come back in an hour. I'll tell you how much. I, I get back, and uh, he, has, he has an envelope for me. He's like, well, here are your gift cards. <laughs> there were four gift cards in there. And, uh, and then he said, it, and it's going to be about $150 to fix the card. You know, he ruined the thing that uh, reads the CD-ROM, the, the CDs. Uh, and so I was like, $150, should I get this? Should I fix it? Should I just buy a new PS4 for $150? Like, I, I wasn't sure, but, you know, I left with the guy. Uh, it felt bad. He, he already looked at it, spent some time on it. Uh, but the cost, was the cost of this PS4 worth redeeming? Redeeming is not a word that we use often, uh, but I want you to understand that as I looked at that and I, I the price tag of this, uh, to fix it and be like new, or I can maybe just leave it there and let the guy do what he wants with it. Maybe he would fix it and resell it or something. Or And should I even have a video, you know, as a as a former game addict, that's always the question of, should I even have this in my life anymore? So I had a choice, but, you know, it was worth redeeming. So I I paid the guy $150. I came back the next day, fixed it. It it worked great. I think it still works. I haven't opened it in a long time. Very dusty. Um, But this concept of Redeemer is one that we find constantly in Scripture. It is It is the thought of, is this worth buying back? Or is this worth restoring what I once had or once was? That's what this concept of redemption in Scripture. It is something that was lost. In Scripture, the the place that something is lost to is is most notably slavery. When people are lost to slavery, when someone in the household or clan is lost to slavery, when they were to be redeemed, to be purchase back would be to become out of slavery. But as we learned about last week, there was a different type of redemption in the story of Ruth that was happening here, that that there was a kinsman redeemer, Boaz, who was part of the clan, who can now protect and save Ruth and Naomi from living a life for the rest of the days. Ruth was probably very young, so for decades being a a poor widow who is an immigrant and would be most likely harassed for decades and decades to come until she passed away. And so Ruth stood at the feet of Boaz and proposes this idea to him for him to be the redeemer, and Boaz agrees to redeem. And so we're going to pick up in the story. In verse four, you could, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, you can read along in your service sheet or on your phone. It says, I'm just going to go through this. We'll, we'll stop at every few verses or so. In verse 1, it says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz had told Ruth, yes, I'm going to do this, but there's, there's basically there's one other. If you think of an inheritance, if someone doesn't have a will, It gets left to the next of kin, and if they're not around, it goes to the next next of kin. And so Boaz told Ruth, there is one other person before me who should redeem you. There is somebody who is closer uh, to Elimelech and his family than I am. He gets first rights to Elimelech's land. And so if he decides to take those rights, then it's his land, and it, it can't be mine. But I am next of kin after Elimelech. And so I'm going to take care of this. And so he goes the next morning after Ruth was by his feet and they had this conversation at night. Boaz says, I'm going to do it first thing. He gets up, he goes to the city gate. This is where people got business done. The guy, and and when he sits down and he's ready to get the work done, the guy that he's waiting for, the next of kin, the first kinsman redeemer, just happens to walk by. And, you know, we've talked about this a few times. Ruth does not mention God, I think it, it only mentions the Lord once, but we see God at play throughout the entire book, and this is one of the times we see God at play, which where anybody may think that this is circumstantial or coincidence, that the day that Boaz, he's sitting by the gate, that this guy happened to walk by, says, and behold, meaning like this guy just, just came, but the truth is, is No matter how long you've waited, we've talked about Ruth was waiting months after the hope of redemption came into her life. But we may wait months for something, but how many know when God is ready to work? God gets to work, and he starts getting it done. And so the guy that Boaz spoke about, he came by. So Boaz says to this guy, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So what happened, what's about to happen here is, it is basically a court procedure is about to happen. At the gate of the city is where all the, the legal things would be done in the city, and they had a special room at the gate where everybody can sit down and get work done. And so when Boaz sees the guy coming, he tells him to sit down. Then Boaz, he goes and he gets 10 other elders. He gets his witnesses for the court proceeding to happen. He gets them. They all sit down in this room, probably a little cramped, these 12 guys about to get some work done. And so we see then the the proceeding starts, which is very formal, starting in verse 3. This Again, we are are entering into a foreign language and a foreign land here. So it may not sound like that. It may not look like that. But this is how their court and their system got done. So then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back for the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, the other guy said, I will redeem it. And, And so this is, he tells the guy, you're the next of kin. This land, what would happen, they had to keep the land in the clan, in the family first and foremost, but if nobody else in the family was alive, it would keep it in the clan. This goes back to the land laws that, uh, Joshua and Moses set down of what clans and what tribes got what land. It had to stay in the family, and so he tells the guy, "Listen, you're next of kin. This land is yours. If you want it, you can have it first and foremost. But if not, if you are not going to take it, let me know because I am after you and I can take it." And so the guy says, "Yeah, I am going to take it. Land is is your prestige. It's your wealth. It is you know is." your upward mobility in in society back then. And so then in verse 5, it says, Then Boaz said, The day you buy the fields from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So Boaz, then he, he throws the wrench into the story, and he says, okay, you'll take the land, but with the land, you're also going to get Naomi, and you're going to get this widow and Ruth, and you must take care of them because that's part of the law, that if you take somebody's land, you also, if they leave anybody behind, you have to take them as well, and you have to care for them. These laws were put in place so that, that there weren't poor widows, people that couldn't provide, poor children that couldn't provide for themselves to make sure that everybody would be taken care of. So when Boaz says that, the other guy kind of makes an about face. You know what? I don't want this anymore. And the reason why, you know, there's a few reasons why he could have not wanted this, but in, in some way, shape, or form, we need to understand, it would have probably uh, jeopardized his inheritance for his children, it could have been that he wasn't married or that in his current marriage he didn't have any children so that if he took Ruth as a wife and they had children, then the cha- then, then Elimelech's lineage would now get his land and Elimelech's land and it would have been a very confusing thing that would happen. So he sees this and he goes, you know what? With this complication, I don't, I don't want the land anymore. I don't want Ruth. I don't want Naomi. You are next in line. You can have it. Take the right of redemption for yourself. And so verse 7, he says, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel, concerning and exchanging. To confirm the transaction, the one drew off his jankleta and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilean and Malhun, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day." So this is you know whatever even in the Bible times this was a strange custom <laughs> that they had where he would take off his sandal to say like that this is going uh, to happen. Now it, the the words buying and selling here uh, are are interesting because there's not actually money being exchanged. Naomi couldn't actually sell the land. It was really going to be given to the next person so that that person can now care for that land, care for Naomi, care for the family, Elimelech's family, and propitiate the name of Elimelech so that his name was not lost. So Boaz goes through with the redemption. He then takes this land and everything that comes with it. The complication or the problem of Ruth for the first kinsman redeemer was this, that was something that he didn't want, something that was rejected by him, was actually precious in Boaz's sight. And the reason why he took this land was because of Ruth and because of her family. And so the other Redeemer, the first Redeemer, just wanted the material gain that he was going to get from the land. And when he saw what material gain that he was going to get, he looked at his possessions that would increase, maybe his stature in the land that would increase, maybe his upward mobility became brighter, there was extra hope for him and his family. He said, yeah, I'm going to have that. That material worth was good. But then when he looked at the people that would come with it, he said, you know what, I don't want that. He counted the cost of what it would mean for him and what it would mean for his family, and the cost was too high. What I want to do for a moment is just contrast this with Jesus as Redeemer, because Jesus is described in Scripture as our Redeemer, the one who bought us back. And it says in Philippians chapter 2-7. I'm going to read a couple of different translations here because I want us to understand the point. The first one I'm going to read is the New Living Translation, the NLT. It says that he gave up his divine privileges, talking about Jesus. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. See, when, when Jesus looked at the cost to buy us back and he began to lay up all the costs on the table and said, what is it gonna mean for me to come? What is it gonna mean for me to actually have relationship with my people again? What is it gonna mean for me to actually be able to redeem my people back. When the the father looked and he said, I'm gonna send my only begotten son and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the son and the father and they conferred in heaven, what would it take for humanity to be restored? What would it take for humanity to be in relationship with us? Again, what would it take for my presence to be upon all the people? What would it take for a new Eden, a new garden to be established, for the new heavens and the new earth? They laid out the cost, and the cost for Jesus was high. It says that he gave up his divine privileges. In the ESV, it says he emptied himself. You know, we may have thought we have emptied ourselves for people. And we, maybe we were frustrated with a family member or a friend. We were giving, 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 giving until we felt empty. And then that friend didn't repay us or that family member didn't repay us as much as we wanted them to or as much as we had expected or hoped for them to. And then we get really upset and maybe we cut them off. Maybe we don't talk about them anymore. I want you to think about if you've ever had a moment like that, about how empty, how much you gave and, and nothing in return could be given think about that unfathomably and that is what jesus did the nlt it says he gave up his divine privileges can you imagine being god in heaven creator the earth is your footstool and you give that up he gave that up he took on a humble position of a slave not only did he just become a human Not only did he give up his divine privileges, not only did he empty himself. In the the King James Version, it says that he made himself of no reputation, literally born in a town where people said, can anything good come from that town? Not born in Rome, not born to the emperor, not born to the height of society, but emptied himself to the lowest of the low. People try to glamorize his father, Joseph Joseph, on earth being a carpenter, but truly that was like being a slave back in the day was the low wage labor where you were indebted to do this. You had no choice. Basically, you did this to live and to survive. This is the life that Jesus, son of God, eternal being, who, who is worthy from all end, the alpha and the omega, as the Bible describes him, the beginning and the end, what he did. He appeared in human form. He humbled himself, obedient to the Father, and died a criminal's death on the cross. In Ephesians 1.7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood. See, the cost for Jesus to redeem was everything. It was the ultimate cost. It was his life. He gave up everything. Literally, it says we have redemption through his blood. The cost for us to do what we do here today, to enjoy the presence of God, to live in the presence of God, to have the Holy Spirit, is the blood of Jesus. That was the price that he paid. That was the cost of us being bought back. That was the cost, the worth that we had in his eyes. That not only did he give up all his privileges, not only did he enter into human slavery, not only did he go and become a person of no reputation, coming from heaven onto earth, living in the filthy conditions and, and being tempted like every single one of us have been tempted, understanding and learning the frailty and the weakness of humankind, Not only did he do all that, but then on top of that, he gave up his life. He poured out his blood as a living sacrifice. See, Jesus counted the cost. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's faced with the final task. It's the night before he goes to be crucified. And that night, he understands what's about to happen. And the cost is not lost on Jesus. He prays that night passionately, so passionately that in his, pra- in his prayers, not only does he sweat water, but he sweats blood. And he prays, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. The cup was the symbol of God's wrath the wrath that would be poured out upon Jesus, the wrath that was meant for us, the cup that was meant to be poured out on us for all eternity, Jesus knew was about to be poured out on him and his life was about to be ended. And three times he says to the father, Lord, if there's any other way, make it so he knew the cost, but there was no other way. And so he does what needs to be done, knowing the cost, knowing the price, knowing the pain that he was about to endure on our behalf. He goes to the cross, he endures the pain. And as his blood spills, the price for our redemption is paid. Not only was Jesus not gaining anything material, for redeeming us. See, we have nothing to offer in return to him. We have no gold that could pay him back. We have no land that he wants. He created the land. There is no universes or kingdoms or power that we could possibly say, here, take this in return for what you have done. See, Jesus looked at what he would get back and he would get back nothing from us that was worthy of the cost of what he was paying. There was no material thing that we could give in return But he gave up everything. He gave up everything. Knowing that there was no material, something worth the cost that he was giving. Sometimes we'll do things hard if it's worth what we'll get in return. But if we do things that are hard, knowing that there's nothing we get in return, hardly, Scripture says, that someone would die for a good person. For a sinner, no one die. I don't see people standing up and saying, well, I'll take that that person's place in death row for what they did. Kill me instead. See, the thing about the redemption that Jesus offers is that we are wholly unworthy for it. We are wholly unworthy for what Jesus has done. See, the other redeemer, he looked at Ruth and he looked at Naomi. He said, I don't want them. They're just going to add complications to my life. The cost is too high. Many of us have been rejected by others. Maybe we get too close to a friend. Maybe somebody that we, we wanted to love for the rest of our life. Maybe a a close friend, we let our guard down too much, and they saw something inside of us that they said, I don't like that. The cost of doing business, the cost of friendship, the cost of love is too high now in this relationship, and so they leave. Maybe it was your parents when you were younger. A loved one. That when they looked at the cost of relationship with you, they said that cost is too high to bear. And they walked away. And many of us in our life, we walk around with the burden of feeling irredeemable. That we've had so many people reject us, so many people walk away from us, so many people that we were vulnerable with, that we loved and we thought, this person can be close to me. This person is supposed to love me and they have walked away from me. And we carry the burden of understanding that we are not worthy of love. And the pain of internally wrestling with, will I ever be worthy of somebody's love? Will I ever be worthy to be cared for? And we've come to the decision and the understanding that we are wholly unworthy of love. We are wholly unworthy of redemption. And so when Jesus comes in and we hear the good news that he spilled his blood, that he died on the cross for us because he loved us and he gave up all of this for us, we don't believe it. We may hear it, we may say that sounds like good news, Maybe we come every week because we want to believe it. Maybe we go home and we say, man, it would be nice if that were true. But when we sin, when we mess up, when we look at our heart, when we remember everyone who has left us in our life, we say it cannot be possible that someone so great, so powerful, and so worthy would love me so much that he would find it within himself to die just so that I can have relationship, so that I could be made worthy, so that I could be redeemed. Some of us feel so broken inside. Pastor, you don't know the thoughts that I struggle with during the week. You don't know the highs and the lows that I go through. You don't know the pain that I carry in my heart every single day and every moment. You don't know the things that I've sought about God, that I've said about God, that I've thought about this person, that I've said about that person you don't understand. I cannot be redeemed. See, so you don't believe. Not only do you not believe what Jesus has said, but you don't believe that his blood was powerful enough to cover all that you've done. When that redeemer looked at Ruth and Naomi, he said, I don't want that. But when Jesus looks at us, he says, I will die for them. I will die for her. I will die for him. Because the cost of being in relationship, the cost to make them whole, the cost of the new heavens and the new earth, tell me what it is and I will do it. The cost has always been death. From the very beginning, when God the Father in the garden to Adam and Eve, and he said, if you sin, you will surely die. From the very beginning, it was death. That was the cost, except what happened was there was no death that was worthy enough that can cover everything. And So God, eternal being, conferred with himself. I said, who will be worthy? Revelation 5 there is a scene where they look all over the earth and they say who is worthy they look in the heavens and they look on the earth they look in the sea they look everywhere and they say no one is worthy but then he who comes who shines like the sun the son of god he is worthy And all of heaven begins to shout and praise, and they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. In Isaiah 53, it prophesies about this land, and it says, Upon him he took the chastisement of us all. Felt unworthy because of what people said. You may have felt unworthy because of what you've done. But don't believe the lie that that has made you too unworthy for God. Because what other people have rejected, what other people have said they don't want, even what you have rejected in yourself, God says, He looks at that and He says, You are created in my image. I know the hairs on your head. I know everything about you. You think you know all the sins that you have done. I know more sin that you have done than you even know yourself. And still I count the cost worthy. And still I have died. And still my blood was shed. See, we may think, Boaz was a great redeemer that he was being so kind and generous and caring towards this poor outsider. But let me tell you that Jesus is greater than Boaz. If you can believe that this man can be generous and gracious and kind to an outsider who didn't belong, who had no worthiness in the culture, who had no reason to be with them, then believe that Jesus loves you and loves you so much that he died on the cross so that we would be redeemed and be able to have relationship with him. See, he became poor. Scripture says that we may become rich. Boaz was generous, but the ultimate generosity is in Christ. See, Boaz may have been kind, but Scripture says that he lavished his grace upon us while we were still sinners. We didn't come to God holy, righteous, rolling through the church and say, here I am, God, I'm righteous today, I'm ready to be good. No, we come broken, ashamed, destitute, downtrodden. And God looks at us and says, even while you are still a sinner, my grace is sufficient for you. And 1 John says, even if we sin again, what is it? The love of God is here. He lavishes his grace upon us. It says in Ephesians, even while we were still sinners. That is the ultimate kindness. You may think, well, Boaz was caring. Well, guess what? What did the father do? He took orphaned kids of a strange land and adopted them as his children and grafted them into his plan. The ultimate care. Jesus said, you are now my brothers and my sisters. You will share in my inheritance. You will sit at the right hand with me and rule and judge. You are my ecclesia. You are my ruling body. I am the head, but you will function as my body everywhere else. He took us in and adopted us. Orphans, thrown out, discarded, uncared for. He said, no, you're my child now. Jesus said, you're my brother, you're my sister now. My inheritance that I have been given by the Father, I give to you. I share everything with you. Or the other Redeemer said, I don't want to give up my inheritance. I don't want to share. I don't want to mess anything up. Jesus said, no, come to me. I will share with you all that I have. He is the Redeemer that looked at us, that looked at you, and he said, Worth it. Worth every scar on my back. We went to the disciples, worth the holes in his hands and in his feet. As he ascended into glory, worth it. Jesus has redeemed you. There are many mornings and many nights where I look at myself and I say, even me, Lord? Even me? Yeah, maybe that person, they seem great. Even me, though? The answer is yes, even you. Your sin does not take Jesus by surprise. It does not catch him off guard. There's nothing that you can do that he has not seen before. He has not foreknew in your heart. And with the foreknowledge, with the understanding, with the true perception into your heart, yes, you are worth redeeming. You are worth the price of his blood. And today come. Come knowing that even you can enter into the Holy of Holies. Even you can experience the presence of God. Even you, no matter what you've done or what others have done to you, no matter who has left you behind or who has left you alone, even you are worthy in the eyes of God to participate in the blood of the Lamb. In fact, today, if you've noticed, there's communion on your seats. The reminder that as a church, every single time we do this, that his blood has washed away, has bought us back, his body broken and bruised, so that we can have a new covenant with him as his children, as his people, that his blood and his broken body are the two testaments that speak that nothing on earth can separate us from the love of God, no height, no depth. Nothing in this world can separate us from his love can you stand with me